According to the American Psychological Association, about 40 to 50% of people get divorced. Concerning divorce and, and marriage, michaelgardner.net says on his blog, he states the following, those who have been divorced once and remarried are more likely to get divorced with as much as 60% of second marriages ending in divorce. Now, I understand that this isn't the most positive way to start off a message, so hang in there with me, all right? Don't turn me off. This can help you, okay? It will eventually. We'll get to it. I'm just setting the stage. According to the United Nations, the United States has the third highest divorce rate in the world with 4.3 divorces per thousand people. The average length of time for first marriages ends ending in divorce is eight years. Second marriages ending in divorce will typically last just under eight years. As many as 60% of divorcing couples are between the ages of 25 and 39. Women are more likely to file for divorce than men. Men, put your clothes in the, the, the your dirty clothes in the hamper. <laughs> people make people making at least less than twenty thousand dollars a year divorce at the highest rate. This income bracket accounts for thirty nine percent of divorces. Why do people divorce? A lack of commitment from one or both parties. Infidelity, including physical and emotional cheating. Sometimes they're unprepared for marriage. They marry too young. Arguing too much, especially about money. Abuse in the relationships. Open Bible here, we're not immune to divorce. Divorce has affected many people in our church here. Some of you may be thinking about divorce right now. Others may be watching friends or family go through divorce. I dare say that all of us in some way, one way or another, has at least been touched by divorce. And there's no denying that divorce in our culture is a major issue. And again, I want to stress to you this morning that I don't come to you with a judgmental attitude. For many of you who have gone through divorce, it was the most painful experience of your life. And if you could have avoided it, you would have. And though not everyone in our congregation, in this local body of Christ here, is divorced... We all do have to live with brokenness. And the one thing that we all do have in common is conflict. There's not a single marriage here that does not deal with conflict. I've often told my wife when she gets her heart right with the Lord, she'll see things my way. And she'll look at me and say, honey, you better not worry about the Lord. You've got to live with me. <laughs> no, she won't. <laughs> she wouldn't say that. But we do have to learn how to live with conflict, don't we? 
Some of us in our relationships, we just avoid conflict. Some in the relationships will try and hit conflict head on. See, but it's how you handle conflict in your marriage relationships that will determine whether you have a lasting marriage or not. So though all of us may not be divorced, all of us deal with brokenness. Why? Because we're broken people. Now remember, when God brings two people together, he's not bringing two whole people together. He's bringing two broken people together. So there's not a single one of us in underneath the sound of my voice or that's watching by Facebook Live or YouTube this morning that is not a broken person. So when you come together, it's two broken people coming together, two sinners coming together, trying to make something work to the honor and glory of God. See, God's desire is that every marriage would be a permanent marriage. That's God's ultimate desire. But how you handle that conflict in your marriage will determine that. But I want you to think wherever you find yourself, this could be your first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, whatever. I want, this is what I want you to get on. Wherever you find yourself today, I want you to realize that God's desire for you, where you're at, is that your marriage be permanent. That it be permanent. You say, well, the stats are against me. I'm in my second or third marriage. What? Uh, you know, 60% more. Get divorced. That doesn't mean that you got to succumb to the stats. God's bigger than the stats. And you can have a good marriage. Jesus makes four statements to show us his desire for every marriage. Just give you a little bit of background here this morning. Jesus, according to our text here, has just ended his ministry in Galilee. And he's come to the place that the Bible says is at the coast of Judea, Judea beyond Jordan. Now that place was called Perera, P-E-R-E-A, or Peria. You say, okay, well, that's nice, but I have no idea where that's at and I really don't care. Okay, but, but this is important because there was, this area was controlled by Herod Antipas. You look, well, I really don't care about that, but you need to remember that guy's name. This is important. And there were two groups of people that were following Jesus that day. The Bible says that there was a great multitude following Jesus, and then there was his arch enemies, the Pharisees. They wanted to destroy and discredit Jesus. Every time they, they came to Jesus with a question, it was to discredit him, and that, hopefully with the potential to destroy him. They didn't really want answers. They were always looking to try and trap Jesus. And this encounter was no different. The Bible says here that they came to Jesus. Take a look in verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. They were tempting him with a question. And the question that they asked had to do with divorce. You say, well, why would they ask that question? Because just like today, divorce is a hot topic. It was a hot topic then. 
It was, it was, a matter of fact, it was rampant among the Pharisees and among the people of the day. And there were two schools of thought on this issue. One was very liberal, that you could divorce your wife for any reason. For any reason. Literally, if your wife burnt the meal, you could divorce her. Wow. If somebody looked better, you could divorce her. The other was much more strict on divorce. It was only permissible if your wife committed adultery. And the Pharisees knew that Jesus, what Jesus believed and what he held to. But the position of the culture was much more liberal. And if they could go get Jesus to go against the culture, they could use that as a trap to be able to discredit him. And if they could get Jesus to state the strictest of positions, they could look to get Jesus killed. Remember I told you that guy, Herod Antipas? Remember he was ruling that area beyond Jordan, Peria. Remember that? I just told you that. Well, this Herod Antipas was the same guy that jailed John the Baptist. Okay, well, some of you may not know, but you say, well, okay, John the Baptist, who was he? Well, he was a religious leader. That He was the forerunner of Christ that announced Christ's coming. Okay, well, that's good. Well, why did Herod Antipas jail him? Because Herod Antipas went to him and said, Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He said, you have no right to have had your brother's wife divorce your brother, and now you have it. It's not lawful. And so what happened was Herod Antipas jailed John the Baptist. And then there was this party, and Antipas' wife's daughter, his stepdaughter, came in and danced before all these different men very sensually, and it pleased Herod. And Herod says, I will give you up to half the kingdom for this. You've done great. You pleased me. You pleased all my buddies here. She ran back to her mom. What should I ask for? And her mom said, ask for John the Baptist's head on a charger, on a silver platter. What did Herod do? He had John the Baptist beheaded, and he gave the head of John the Baptist to his, now, his, his brother Philip's wife, really, as the Bible puts it, the wife that he was living with. See, and the point is that if the Pharisees could get Jesus to hold to that position, Herod Antipas was ruling that area that not only could they discredit him, but they could destroy him. Listen, Satan is, was, has, was doing everything that he could to prevent Jesus from going to the cross and dying for our sins. 
If he knew that he could destroy Jesus before he ever got to the cross, guess what, friends? There would be no salvation. There would be no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus, being the master answer to these questions and knowing the type of people that the Pharisees were, answered in a masterful way. I want you to see the four statements that Jesus gives very quickly here this morning about marriage. Take a look at verse 4. How does he start off? Number one, if you're taking notes, one man and one woman. One man and one woman. He says in verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female? Point A, if you'd like to write this down, the maker. Jesus takes the Pharisees all the way back to the beginning of creation. What, what, what this means is that what happened as early as creation in the creation narrative is much more weighty than what Moses had to say. I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. As you're turning there, I want you to think about, Jesus asked the, the Pharisees, have ye not read? These Pharisees, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible. But just because you know it here in your head doesn't mean that you've applied it in your life. Kind of ironic that Jesus says that. I kind of chuckled to myself when I, when I read that. Have you not read? Take a look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. One man, one woman, the maker See, the word made in our main text in, in uh, Matthew chapter 19, have you not read? He which made them, it means created. God created, here you go, two complementary genders. One for each other. One for each other. Male and female, that's the way God created it in the beginning. I know what society says today. I know what the world is telling us today. But God trumps culture. The Word of God trumps culture. God is the maker of man and woman. So then therefore, side note, if God is the maker of man and woman, then God is the maker of marriage. And he dictates what marriage is. But not only do we see that there's one man and one woman, God the maker, but we see the model. Take a look at the model. The model that God has instituted for marriage is one man and one woman. Did you notice what God didn't create in Genesis? What didn't God create in Genesis? And he spares. What do you mean? One man, one woman. There wasn't one man and four women, or one woman and three men. God didn't create any spares. Think about this. When God created Adam and Eve, that's all that he created when it comes to marriage. There were, new, there were no alternatives. 
They didn't have any other options. It was just them. Do you think that if God's plan, his original plan was for divorce, don't you think that he would have made multiple people? It's just something to think about. Again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm trying to teach us forth God's view of marriage. So wherever you find yourself in marriage today, understand God wants it to be permanent. I'm wanting to establish that God started marriage, and he wants this marriage to be between one man and one woman. The first statement that Jesus makes, write it down. The first statement that Jesus makes is one man and one woman. Take a look at verse 5, because here's the second statement. The strong bond. The strong bond. Take a look at verse 5. And he said, For this call shall man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Letter A, if you're writing down, the break in the relationship. Wait a second, Pastor. You just said strong bond, and now you're talking about the break in the relationship. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 2 because in verse 5, Jesus is quoting Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Take a look at verse 24. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The strong bond. In our text, Matthew says, for this cause. In our text. We would say it this way. Because God has brought you together, there is to be a break in a relationship. And the relationship that is to be broken, if you will, and I'm using that very loosely, is the relationship of mother and father. The word in our text is leave. It means to leave behind, to go away from, not to take along. Sorry. When my daughter was getting married, Alexis, it was the worst day of my life. But when she was getting married, I kept teasing her and saying, we're looking forward to going on the honeymoon with you. <laughs> Have you got our room booked? You know. And she was like, no, we're leaving you behind. Well, that's what our, our word means. There's, there's no carrying along. There's, there's no coming along. Jesus is not saying that you should never be around your family. But what Jesus is saying is that there is a greater relationship than the relationship of mom and dad. Listen now, I know some of you mother-in-laws are going to get upset with me. But I'm telling you what the Bible has to say. There is a greater relationship than mom and dad. It is the relationship of husband and wife. See, when a man and a woman, when they marry, they are entering into a new and very intimate relationship that takes, here we go, here we go, precedence over all other relationships. Well, that's my boy. It may be your boy, but it's her husband. And so when mama, listen to me, mama. 
if that boy has to pick between you and his wife, I'm telling you, son, you better pick your wife. You say, what if she's wrong? Talk to her behind closed doors, not in front of mama. Get it straightened out later. But you better defend your wife. When my daughter got married, I told her that your loyalties no longer lie with me. They lie to your husband. Sweetheart, you better stand up and defend your husband. Your protector is not your daddy. Your protector is your husband. Your loyalties don't lie with your daddy. Your loyalties lie with your husband. It takes precedence over all previous ties. See, Jesus is teaching that there's to be a break, if you will, in the relationship that allegiances uh, once uh, are now to move from parents to spouse and In the biblical world, this did not often refer to the setting up of a separate home. See, it didn't matter of fact what they would do many times is they would add on to their home. The husband would build on to the family home. And and so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to separate because you can never live with your parents. I lived with my parents for six months, and that was six months too long, and now I'm currently living with my parents. And men in the church, let's get this house done. I love my parents, but I want my space back. (laughs) I'm living out of suitcases. I came to church today in jeans and the shirt. And I'm like, honey, I don't know where my clothes are at. I I forgot to bring clothes home because I got some of my clothes in the church office closet. And I got some of my clothes in their closet over there. I got other clothes packed over in the educational building. I don't know. I want my space back. I love my parents, but I want my space back. So it doesn't mean that you can't ever live with your parents because they did that in that culture and, and they might have multiple generations living with, within one household. So the issue is not that. The issue is allegiance, where your allegiance lies. And this can be a big issue for people. You know, sometimes well-meaning parents can hinder a marriage relationship. But not only should there be a break in the relationship, there's to be a bond in a relationship. Let her be. Let her be the bond in the relationship. I want you to note the word cleave. It's a very important word. It gives us the description of the type of relationship that's to take place between a man and a woman. Cleave is to, to, it means to have a bond that cannot be broken. It's the word that's used for glue. It means to be stuck. Now, some of you might be saying in your mind's eye right now, I've been stuck with this guy for 30 years. <laughs> that's not the kind of stuck it's talking about, okay? <laughs> it's talking about a joyful stuck. It's talking about a happy stuck, okay? The point is that the, is that the marriage relationship is to be one of the strongest bonds possible between two human beings. 
It's, it's like this. It's a, a consecration of oneself to another. It's a setting apart of oneself to another. It's, separa- it's separating oneself from any other person unto the mate that God has given to me. See, this type of bond doesn't go over too well in a world that believes that happiness is more important than commitment. Look, folks, some of you young people in here, you're not married yet. But look, let me just tell you this. It's not a white picket fence. It's not. My wife would tell my daughter, she'd tell Alexis, honey, things are going to change. You know, he's so wonderful and he's this. And I'm like, no, he's an idiot. I tried to tell you, girl. <laughs> oh, I just love him. I just make my stomach turn. I try and eat. I couldn't even eat after I heard those things. I would tell him. I was like, look, don't get all cozy next to me. When you're in my house, don't, uh-uh. I don't want to see any of that. Uh-uh. My wife would tell Alexis, she would say, now, honey, it's going to change. Some things are going to change once you get married. Things are different when you start living in the same household with one another. A couple months ago, Alexis called my wife. She said, Mom, you're right. Things have changed. (laughs) But it's not always going to be picket fence and, and rainbows and stuff like that. See, our world tells us that the way that we feel, our happiness, our our contentment, what we want, our, 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 my, my, me, me, self, self, I just just don't feel it anymore. Well, listen, there's times where you're not going to feel it anymore, but it's not about feeling it anymore. It's about a commitment that you made before God. There are times where, if I was honest, I don't feel like coming to church. Don't look at me that way. You don't either because some of you don't show up. (laughs) I wish I could do what you do. One of these days, I just might do it. Well, where's where's Pastor? He went to the beach. He wanted to go walk on the boards too on Sunday. You ever notice that Sunday is the most beautiful day of the whole week? We live 40 minutes from the boards. I want to go get some Mac and, Mac, Mac, Mac and Manco pizza or Manco Manco pizza and walk the boards. Get some saltwater taffy, walk the boards. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe we'll just have church on the beach. <laughs> <I just laughs> Preacher would have a heart attack right about now. <laughs> Where's open Bible going? He went to that church without walls conference and everything's going, coming loose now. <laughs> but why don't I live by my feelings sometimes? Because I'm, I got to be committed. Right? Don't we got to be committed? You said, but pastor, sometimes it goes on for months, for weeks, for years. I know. I know. You got to determine you're going to be committed. The first two statements that Jesus makes about marriage is is one man and one woman, and the bond is like glue. Number three, write this down. They become one flesh. Verses five and six. And he said, For this call shall man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. 
Write down here, letter A, to become one. This is referring to the physical aspect of marriage. When a couple comes together physically, when they're intimate, they become one. This is unlike any other relationship. There's no other physical relationship where two people become one. And it's in that act of intimacy where the, the two individuals become one in the sight of God. Think about it. There is no other relationship like that. See, my friends, when God looks upon your marriage, he doesn't see two individuals. He sees one. You know, that's a lot like us who know Christ as our personal Savior. How does God see us? God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, if, if God just saw us for who we were, we couldn't be in his presence. Amen. He couldn't look upon us because what? We're sinful, we're vile. But because we've been one, we are united now with Christ. And when he looks upon us, he sees the very righteousness of Christ that we have been clothed in because of the salvation that we've experienced. It's a picture of the intimate relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So the two become one, but let her be one not to become two again. One not to become two again. They become one flesh, number three. Two become one, letter A, and then letter B. One, not to become two again. Jesus makes the statement in verse 6 that there are no more two but of one flesh. This is God's divine perspective upon a married couple. What happens when you divide one? Well, actually, you can't divide one by itself. One is an indivisible number. In mathematics, you can't divide one. So now, think about it. We are brought one, one with another, husband and wife. One is an indivisible number. So then what happens if you were to divide one flesh? that one flesh person would die. See, the issue is that when you and I, when we would look to divide our marriages, you end up with two halves, and two halves make up no body. Jesus says two become one. Jesus makes some strong statements about marriage. He says it's for one man and one woman. Marriage is a bond like glue. Two become one. And then number four, write this down. God joins people in marriage. It is God that joins people in marriage. Take a look at Matthew 19, 6. Wherefore, there are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Write this down if you would. Letter A, God creates the union. What therefore God hath joined together. I thought you were the one who joined them together, Pastor Riddell. No, I just happened to be the, the mouthpiece there. That, that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, 
Though I am trying to figure out how to take up an offering at a wedding. <laughs> I'm Baptist. We always take up offerings. <laughs> what therefore God had joined together. See, Jesus didn't side with either group, the liberal or the strictest. He went back to what God had to say about marriage. You know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing to them, uh, saying the same thing to us that he says to them. He's saying, go back to the scriptures, to the thing that you say that you love and that you respect. Go back to what the Bible has to say, the thing that you say that you obey. See, if we did this, if we all did this, if we went back to the scriptures, if we follow what we say we believe, we would realize that marriage is a much more binding relationship than what many would make it today. The attitude of today, my friends, is that it's not much more than a casual union dissolvable upon almost any inconvenience or difficulty. See, the problem is there's been a mentality that has creeped into our church as a whole. It's in our society. It's called the consumer mentality. Now, the consumer mentality is okay when you're dealing with going to one store over another because you want to get a better price for the same product, a better selection or a better value. But the consumer mentality is not okay when it comes to marriage. See, God has put it together, and let her be. Don't take apart what God has put together. See, one of the issues is that the consumer mentality has also been the mentality in many marriages. See, my friend, God does not look and see our marriages from a consumer perspective, but from a covenant perspective. If you want to look at one word in our verse, it's put asunder. It means to separate. It means to leave or divide. It means to divorce or depart or remove. God is saying that he is the one that makes marriages and that, he is, uh, and that no one is to take apart marriage. God sees marriage as a covenant. Don't take apart what God has put together. You say, but pastor, I've done that. Maybe you're the one that instituted the divorce. Maybe you didn't. Maybe this is your second, third, fourth marriage. Maybe you're not even married. Maybe you're just living together. You say, what do I do? Does God love me? Number one, he does. We find out in the Old Testament that God actually divorced his own people. Why? For spiritual adultery. But the wonderful thing is he restored that relationship. Can I ever have 
the relationship that God wants me to have? Yes, you can. What should I do? Determine that you are going to follow the four statements that Jesus gave. Whatever marriage you're in, it is going to be permanent. It is going to be permanent. We're not going to talk about, well, if this doesn't work out. No. I've told people in counseling, and I continue to tell people in counseling over the many years, this is going to work out. We are going to work through this. We will work through it. We will get through this. If you're not married today, maybe, maybe you are just going through that time where you're living together. And I would encourage you to follow what the Word of God says. God, God, can, God will honor marriage. You say, I'm just scared because I, I, got, I was married once and I got divorced and I'm just scared. Make the commitment. Make the commitment. See, God can't bless when we're living in sin. But he will bless if you honor his word. I don't have time to go into, I wish I did, I don't. I don't have time to go into the exception clause. But I'll put it to you this way. God's hope for every marriage is that it would be restored. Always. Always. God, God at one time told a prophet to marry a young lady some believe she was a prostitute before. Others believe she was a prostitute afterwards. I'm not going to get into that. But the simple fact of the matter is she didn't have a great deal of commitment or character. And she went and she ran around on this prophet of God. And every time you see Hosea extending the hand to bring her back, the point is, God desires restoration and permanence in marriage. So, folks, this morning I didn't come to you with a judgmental attitude. I came to you to teach you what the Bible has to say about marriage. What the God that we say that we worship and love has to say about marriage. And he says, I want it to be permanent. Some of you might be sitting here, well, that's great for those young people. I've been married for 60 years. That's great. You know what? Well, then why don't you continue or why don't you start, if you're not already, modeling the biblical marriage for the younger couples here at Open Bible? Why don't you sit down with some of the younger couples and, and be transparent? Yeah, we've had our knockdown, drag them out fights, they weren't pretty. But you know what? We stayed together. It wasn't easy, but we stayed together. And I'm glad that we did. See, just because your marriage has not gone through the devastating effects of divorce doesn't mean that you're exempt from this message. 
you've got something to teach the next generation. Because, friend, you can say all you want, it's not going to happen to me. Guess what? You've just taken the first step for it to happen. There's no sin, no devastation that any of us are above. My hope for you, wherever you find yourself, my hope for you is that you will hold on to the permanency of marriage. You say, why does God desire permanency for marriage? It's a picture of the gospel. You say, what do you mean it's a picture of the gospel? Listen, friends. When Jesus Christ bought me off the slave market of sin, he purchased me. He paid for me. And guess what? Now that I am in Christ, I will never be separated from him again. Never. I am permanently joined to him. The Bible says that he has given me everlasting life eternal life that I am in the hand of Jesus the hand of Jesus is in the Father and that no man can pluck me out of his hand and Jesus says that your marriages are a picture of the gospel So there, though there might have been failure in the past, though there might have been devastation in the past, let me tell you something about God's grace. The past doesn't have to dictate your future. And God can shine through the marriage that you're in today. Show people a picture of the gospel through your marriage.